Hi there, welcome back, welcome back, and, um, Harassment or intimidation continues, and if the bully violates an order of protection or if the bully is convicted of a second offense, it becomes a felony with a possible sentence of two years in prison. Three types of harassment. Verbal, visual, and physical harassment. How do you prove psychological harassment? Must involve discrimination against a protected class of people, involve offensive conduct, include unwelcome behavior, involve some level of severity or pervasiveness that affects your ability to work. How to prove harassment in the workplace. Mm, harassment, harassment, how to recognize it and report it. Workplace harassment exists throughout all types of workplaces in the U.S., from bullying to outright discrimination. It's important to understand workplace harassment so you can avoid a hostile work environment in your small business. By creating a workplace harassment policy, you can take the necessary steps to create a safe working environment for all your employees. Most basic harassment is verbal and, is verbal and psychological there are a lot more serious harms, serious forms, such as physical and sexual. All types of workplace harassment are illegal. They do not only affect an employee's productivity, comfort, and safety at work, but they can also expose an organization to legal liability if it does not handle harassment properly. Workplace harassment is always hard to deal with. It can be especially tricky to navigate if the person who's harassing you is also your manager. If this is your situation, consider these. Types of workplace harassment. Workplace harassment can take many forms and it doesn't always look the, look the same. Knowing the various ways workplace harassment can manifest itself can help you identify it. What's happening to you or a colleague? Often yelling, cursing, or making inappropriate remarks or jokes about a coworker is seen as a case of personality conflict and that is harassment. Even when such behavior can have a negative psychological impact on the victim and result in outcomes such as depression, high blood pressure, and anxiety disease, Chris Chauncey, founder and CEO of Amplio Recruiting. Digital harassment, cyberbullying. Okay, so um, let's learn about 
Closing of Rule 11. Site can't be reached. Reload. Connection was reset. They don't want me to see this. Apparently. Serial grocery case filer gets sanctions warnings from judges. Judge may impose defendant attorney fees on plaintiff. Defense bar tired of playing expensive whack-a-mole. Federal judges forced to consider the amount of lemon in lemon seltzer, the oil content of mayonnaise. Just how much cheese is in the pizza roller hitting back at a serial lawsuit filer who shops the grocery store for litigation. Great Neck, New York-based attorney Spencer Sheehan has filed more than 400 consumer fraud lawsuits against deep-pocketed companies since 2020 in federal districts across the country. Federal judges in Illinois are opening, openly questioning whether some of those cases failed to properly assert legal violations and instead add to the clutter of already heavy caseloads. <clears throat> Spaghetti is best eaten, not thrown at walls, Judge Lane Johnson wrote, dismissing one of Sheehan's recent cases. At the dismissal, Johnston added that he's not the only judge tired of these cases. Judge Stephen Seeger threatened Sheehan with sanctions, including forcing him to pay the legal costs of defending against his lawsuits if they continue. Court echoes Judge Seeger's sentiment, Johnston wrote. The judge reminded Sheehan of his obligations under Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 11, a rule penalizing attorneys for filing improper lawsuits. Hmm. So that's for attorneys. And it's not improper lawsuit if you're trying to defend yourself pro se, because who can afford an attorney, really? And also, um, yeah, it's not uh, frivolous in the least. To contact the report, maybe, maybe, maybe my motions, etc. You know, they're, they're not polished because I haven't gone through law school yet, but you know, I try. Give it the old college try. Stephen Joyce in Chicago. Ah. What is Rule 11 in simple terms? There is an affirmative duty to investigate both as to law and as to fact before a complaint is filed. All pleadings, motions, papers, and representations to the court must also meet the requirements of Rule 11 or risk triggering sanctions against the offending parties and their attorneys. What is Rule 11 in the movie of civil actions? That a lawyer should not file papers in court that are not well grounded in fact. Well, if you're filing pro se, if this, this rule is supposed to be for attorneys, why is it 
why is it being applied to private citizen trying to defend themselves? I think it's kind of uh, right to to a fair trial. Cheeseman's Rule 11 motion argued in essence that the plaintiff's lawsuit lacked factual support and that an adequate pre-suit investigation would have revealed that What is North Carolina civil rule? Still chilling after all these years. Rule 11 of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. And it's... File downloaded. Critical analysis of Rule 11 sanctions in the Seventh Circuit. It's not frivolous, it's just, um, you know. Doing the best I could. And uh, I've got a lawyer now, so public defender. So really, it's the groundless, baseless. Signing pleadings, motions, and other papers, representations in the court. It's not a frivolous claim. It's supposed to be for... Supposed to be for frivolous lawsuits. My defense is not frivolous. Civil Action Rule 11, you know, it's reasonable pre-filing investigation and test for Rule 11. The I would have if I could. I think they're being really mean to me. It's like harassment, more harassment, intimidation. I'm just trying to defend myself against these fucking bullies courtroom. Gangsters. So the popos in the attorney's office, uh, attorney, um, yeah, ganged up on me. That's pretty powerful. Okay, let's see what it says in videos. 
11 rule for idiots who bought a haunted house. Rules, horror stories, scary rules, stories. Um, ballet stage stories. Hmm. I don't see anything. I think they're kind of like pulling it out of their ass. But she's the district attorney, deputy district attorney. Those that they kind of like rubber stamp their shit. horror stories. Oh, that sounds terrible. Do a search for a rule 11. Personally, persons filing a document containing more than one place for a signature, such as a stipulation may sign on behalf of another party, only other person has actually authority to do so. Signing pleadings, motions. What is the primary purpose of Rule 11? So, mm, deterring frivolous filings is what it's for primarily by making lawyers more aware of their professional duty to investigate and research claims before filing. So let's see here. Rules lawyers gaslight their DM into hating the game. IRS horror stories. can't believe they're allowed to do this. Simply like sanctions under Rule 11. Send a note to my lawyer.
So let's see. PDF file. Manu Raju was sent back. Has been processed and reinstated. Yay, today Johnny Morgan. 4.4 million benefits. Yay. David Smiles, McGuire Gardner. Nice. Alright. Nice. Thank you. Should I send um Overwhelming evidence, Trump nightmares here, yay. Total. I don't know why Trump they are giving this much out, but every American courts. family needs to see this. The government is basically giving me 1,000... New York, New York, skyscrapers soar and fraudulent enterprises crumble. Week two of the New York Attorney General civil fraud case, and it was... By Trump's former CFO, Alan Weiss. Washington, D.C. for
from teams. On the other hand, Judge Eileen. We go to Jim Jordan trying to interfere with her case. Get away, Jim. And from MAGA Mosquito to MAGA Mosquito excrement, Rudy Giuliani. Not only did a federal judge in the defamation case filed against Giuliani by Georgia election workers Freeman and Moss find that Rudy was liable for defamation, the federal judge just ruled that based on all of the discovery abuses engaged in by Rudy Giuliani during litigation and his clear attempts to cover up his financial condition, oh, another MAGA covering up their financial conditions, the jury is now permitted to make an adverse inference in assessing damages and specifically punitive damages that Rudy Giuliani intentionally concealed and hid more than the time allotted from now until um, May to try. New York fraud case is not a complicated case. Donald Trump does not do complicated things. <coughs> you can make your own assumptions as to why. You could try two Mar-a-Lago cases in the time that's left on the clock between now and May. You could try two New York fraud cases in the time that they've had. Hiding documents from the government and using half a dozen people to do it is not a complicated case. Uh, changing your numbers and just artificially inflating them and adding 20% or 30% onto your net worth in order to defraud insurance companies and banks and using half a dozen people to do it is not a complicated case. Donald Trump does not warrant long trials 
or long preparation sessions, no matter what his lawyers say in all of these cases. There's no reason for any delay, and these cases should go off on schedule, just as scheduled in March and So the case in Washington, D.C. before Judge Tanya Chutkin, right, where Judge Chutkin handling the case perfectly, moving the case along. And she's it's it's not like she's special counsel, Jack Smith, whatever you want, file in my court and you'll get expedited briefing. She's even both sides. They file things. She moves the case along and you can see that the litigants respect her for doing that. What you want in a judge, someone who conjures respect. And let's be real, though, like with Judge Cannon, you have Donald Trump and his motions in the Southern District of Florida treating her like she's a buddy. You can see it in the filings that there's the wink and the nod right there. Like, we need you to do this for us. It doesn't say it so expressly, but that's what's going on. And then you have her at these hearings. There should be some other remedy, but like you got to go through with the hearing. And I get that judges could be. Then you do it. It's like you don't start the, you know, the sports game. You don't like the way it. Two of the New York Attorney General civil fraud case against Donald Trump. And just because Trump isn't there, it only lasted two and a half days of ranting and raving like a lunatic. The first week of trial where a gag order was imposed. I, I know the media loves that. But it's important that we focus on what's happening with the. So this week, former CFO Alan Weisselberg, some bombshell testimony there about his severance agreement and the amount of his severance agreement matching the criminal fine in his criminal plea agreement and whether that constitutes obstruction of justice. Potential perjury of Alan Weisselberg on the stand when it became clear that he was not being forthcoming and then outright lying about his involvement 
in calculating the properties and some Forbes reporters got the documents and data and emails to back it up that they went to the New York Attorney General's with. You had an S an ex risk manager an ex risk manager at Deutsche Bank uh, testify, someone named Nis Nicholas Haig, um, who kind of rebutted all of these kind of Donald Trump talking points that the bank just blindly accepted whatever Donald Trump's you know statements were, and that the bank was relying a lot on these statements made by Donald Trump. There was a due diligence process and where fraud was being committed, that could change their determination about whether they would have made a loan or not. And then you had the testimony from a current Trump organization. On statement of financial conditions that talked about adding brand premiums from 10, 15 up to 30% brand premiums that were based on Donald Trump claiming, oh, former president residents or presidential residents add a brand premium, add the brand premium for the fact that it's Donald Trump lives there. Donald Trump saying, oh, my brands were never added into brand premiums were never added. They were. take the plane up 20,000 feet. What we're seeing is a masterful presentation of evidence over a trial that's going to last up to 100 trial days. This is only the first two weeks. We're going to talk later in this segment about the order of witnesses or, or who's going to be coming up next. And what I like so far is this nice momentum that's being built in the narrative in front of the trial judge, no jury, of insider witness, outsider witness, insider witness, outsider witness, insider witness no longer with the company, outsider witness um, no longer with the company. None of them, um, all of them kind of different pages in the hymnal that's being presented of the fraud. So you start in week one with the ultimate outsider in Don Bender, the 12-year-long accountant auditor for everybody related to Trump including personally, who knows where all the bodies are buried, and pointed the finger at the Trump Organization, Donald Trump, Alan Weisselberg, and McConney, the controller for fraud. You know, that they misled the auditors, they did not provide proper information, and focusing in on Trump Tower. We spent a lot of time talking about the Trump penthouse and why it's only 10,999 feet and not 30,000 feet, not because it's an ego thing, it's because there is criminal or in this case fraudulent conduct that started in 2017 and that and that michael cohen will testify to and the others have testified to when forbes magazine which you already mentioned got the the floor plans from the fire marshal and the building department and the department of buildings in new york and figured out very quickly that the apartment on three levels is only 11 less than 11,000 square feet and that created a once they outed Donald Trump on the size of his apartment, that created a hole in his balance sheet of a substantial amount that had to be made up some other way. Now, normally, when you have a hole in your balance sheet, you want to increase the value of it. You go buy um, and you acquire more assets, not, not Donald Trump. 
Donald Trump gave the instruction to keep the existing assets and just inflate them artificially by making up numbers, putting premiums on them, a 20% presidential premium, a 30% ex-presidential premium. Um, this is, when I say premium just here, I just made up a number. It'd be like you taking your own personal balance sheet. Let's say you've got $1,000 in the bank. You just add 30% on and you tell somebody that you have $1,300 in the bank. You only have 1000 but you've added a 30% premium. Now, do that to Donald Trump with a lot more zeros, and you get the sense of what's happened here. Michael Cohen will come in and support that. So insiders, the first two, the money men, 30-year, 50-year-plus organizational money men in um, McConney, uh, the controller who reported to Weisselberg, the disgraced felon chief financial officer who doesn't understand what generally accepted accounting principles are, that he testified, I don't know how you could be in a control position within a company that's got money flowing through it if you don't understand that. More importantly, during the testimony of Alan Weisselberg, the reason that the attorney general calling this hostile witness, which is what Alan Weisselberg and even, uh, even uh, McConaughey are, because they're on the other side of the V, they're defendants. But she's swinging for the fences here, and she's doing a masterful job, the attorney general, in bringing in these adverse witnesses, but knowing that she has their testimony from the, the New York uh, Manhattan District Attorney's tax evasion case that went terribly for the Trump organization last year with 17 felony counts conviction by a jury against the Trump organization and all of its entities, and Alan Weisselberg particularly 17 felony counts, um, and he went to jail for it. So they had the testimony from that. McConney had testified in the tax case under an immunity deal with the Manhattan DA. So he's the most honest of all of them. But they were ready for Weisselberg. And Weisselberg did not perform the way he was expected to on that stand. But they were ready that he would try to not remember things, which is what he started doing. I don't remember that. I don't recall that. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. He had to admit to things that were in writing, like, isn't that Donald Trump's signature on the bottom of a, a representation to banks that he would not include brand value and brand uh, percentage as part of his balance sheet, as part of his net worth? Yeah, that's his signature. He had to do that. But in the places where he wasn't being cooperative and to signal to the judge that, they, that there's a credibility problem here, when this witness that you want to track suddenly goes off the track, then you have to punish them. And the way that you punish them is the way the New York Attorney General did, which is, let's talk about your separation agreement with the uh, Trump Organization. They committed to paying you $2 million, didn't they? Yes. And that's the same $2 million number as you have to pay or paid in a fine related to your tax evasion conviction, right, sir? Yes. Coincidence? I would say it's coincidence, okay? And let's go through the payment schedule. You've gotten one point, you know, you've gotten $750,000 in payments, but you're owed $1.2 million left, right, sir? Right. And it says here you can't voluntarily cooperate with anybody. It has to be by subpoena, right, sir? And if you violate this agreement, you're not going to get your money, are you? The only reason that came out that way with a witness that they called is because Weisselberg wasn't playing ball. And he was not giving them what they wanted. Now, they don't need Weisselberg to nail Donald Trump in this fraud case. That would have been icing on top of icing on the cake. But when he started effing with the, with the uh, cross-examiner, the New York Attorney General, that's when they, they decided they needed to punish him and bring
think severance payments are waiting on them is Patrick So he's just a, he's just going through, and they interviewed him, and they know what he's going to say, and he's just going through that, all of that. Next week, they're going to bring up uh, another employee who's a assistant controller. over everything and then you got to clean up behind him and he leaves that's what's going to happen it'll have no impact on the witnesses that are testifying he already said he doesn't know most of the witnesses for the trump organization who are testifying and the only thing we're waiting on that, that I, you know, i'm sure you'll you'll you have your opinion about is is when michael cohen finally testifies and if alina hoppa is the one that's going to cross-examine him i mean that's where i buy my popcorn it'll be interesting to see if alina hoppa does the cross of michael cohen um, Michael Cohen uh, has requested, based on health conditions, that his testimony not take place next week, but I'm sure it will be taking place within the next few weeks, and we all wish Michael Cohen well. Alina Haba took his deposition, uh, and so will she do the cross-examination? I'm interested in a point that you made, Popak, which I'll touch upon before moving to the federal criminal uh, cases, is Alan Weisselberg when he was there as a witness, brought upon himself the fury of the cross-examiner by saying, I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't recall, and trying to play that game. Because of that behavior, the cross-examiner, the lawyer who's doing a great job from the New York Attorney General's office, grilled Weisselberg on his severance agreement, as you mentioned. Now, the criminal penalty for Weisselberg when he took the plea agreement in the Manhattan District Attorney criminal case for the fraudulent tax benefits he received. Remember, he served time on Rikers Island. The severance agreement was for $2 million. If there was a quid pro quo payment by the organization to pay him off, and to hide that as severance for compliance with what Trump and the organization wanted him to do in that case and in other criminal investigations. That is classic textbook obstruction of justice crimes. Now, if Weisselberg just basically, instead of going, I don't recall, I don't recall, was forthcoming and he acknowledged the existence of a severance agreement and just answered the questions the New York Attorney General lawyer would not have spent the focus proving very credibly that another crime was convicted, right? Weisselberg looked like he was guilty, and Trump did as well, of obstruction of justice. And guess who's watching this other than 
us here at the Midas Mighty and Legal AF and the rest of the country, but clearly the Manhattan District Attorney's Office is watching, they're waiting. It's still within the statute of limitations to charge Donald Trump or to charge Weisselberg or some of these other people again. And I predict that they are going to do that after there is a final resolution or close to it in this civil case. I think it Bragg, I think, strategically was waiting. He brought the case involving Trump's unlawful char characterization of the payment to Stormy Daniels as the first case, but he didn't waive his right to bring a future criminal case. So I want everybody to watch for that. And then Weisselberg seems to have committed perjury on the stand, another crime. One of the reasons his testimony abruptly ended as well as the Forbes writers said, wait a minute, Weisselberg is saying that he had no involvement with the triplex and that he doesn't remember having these detailed discussions with us. Triplex. See, <laughs> well, 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 there is yeah. a raging debate about that. Not in New York. I'll, 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 I'll leave Gora, it. And Goron corrected the witness three times when he said triplex. It's triplex in New York. All right. We'll see. <laughs> we, we, we will see. So, so we've got that going on in New York, and then in the and with respect to Forbes, the Forbes writers reached out to the New York Attorney General's office and said, hey, look, we've got all of the evidence um, right here. Let's talk about what's going on in the federal case um, in Washington, D.C., and in the Southern District of Florida, both being prosecuted by Special Counsel Jack Smith. The D.C. crimes against Trump relate to attempt to overthrow the 2020 election. The Southern District of Florida crimes relate to Trump's willful retention of national defense information, obstruction of justice, making false statements. His co-defendants in the Southern District of Florida case include Walty Nauta, his valet and personal assistant, as well as Carlos de Oliveira, a maintenance worker who works at uh, Mar-a-Lago and, and, and is still employed at Mar-a-Lago, apparently. Okay, so in Washington, D.C., a number of motions were filed both by special counsel Jack Smith's team as well as by Donald Trump's special counsel Jack Smith's team. Uh, these were all opposed by Donald Trump. Jack Smith wanted to bring a questionnaire um, or, or lodge a questionnaire to be sent out to the jury, a written questionnaire in advance of trial so that they could start the jury selection process early and promptly so there's no delay. And Jack Smith also wanted to protect the identities of jurors receiving the questionnaire from public disclosure. We're not talking about an anonymous jury yet. That request hasn't been made. It's just prohibiting the public disclosure of jurors who receive this potential questionnaire. Donald Trump opposed that. One of the other things Jack Smith requested is that there be a requirement that Donald Trump determine or make clear if he's going to be asserting an advice of counsel defense, because that has implications on the waiver of attorney-client privilege. And Jack Smith wants to get ahead of Donald Trump playing games where once trial arrives in March, then Donald Trump goes, oh, now I'm blaming my lawyers. And then it becomes more difficult to deal with the waiver of attorney-client privilege that that would trigger because you then have to then release all of these documents which are currently being withheld under attorney-client privilege. So Jack Smith's like, look, 
I want these attorney-client privilege documents now if Donald Trump's going to assert advice of counsel, because that's a consequence of asserting advice of counsel as a defense. Those are on the Jack Smith side. Want to hear your thoughts on that, Popak? But then on the Trump side, Trump issued Trump filed a motion to issue various subpoenas that are part of these deranged conspiracies that are being spread about, you know, saying that the January sixth committee like deleted evidence, which is totally false. I want you to talk about that. And then Jack Smith's lawyers filed a motion uh, requesting attorneys' eyes only access to SEPA Section Four documents. Um, there are classified documents in the D.C. case as well um, as the Southern District of Florida. And Trump's lawyers wanted to get access to the Section 4 documents. These are documents that were submitted by the prosecutor to Judge Chutkin for her to allow a summary of the documents because they're so sensitive. They don't want to turn them over to the criminal defendant, in this case, Donald Trump. SEPA Section 4 provides a process for that, and Trump's lawyers are saying, Judge, you have discretion. We, we've been good, haven't we? We've been, we've been good lawyers. We've been nice to you. We've treated you with respect. Can't we get attorney's eyes access to that for now so we can be involved in the process? And, of course, I'd be a little bit facetious there when the lawyers are saying, hey, we've been good. These are the lawyers who are claiming Donald Trump's threats against witnesses, against the judge. The judges received death threats. These lawyers have said that's perfectly acceptable speech before. So a lot of motions, but Popak, Judge Chutkin is moving her docket along, and she said expedited briefings for all of these motions. She's not going to have any delay in her court. But I wanted to give the framework of the various motions because it's a lot and then get you to really bring us into the weeds and what's going on. Whenever I hear Judge Chutkin, when I do a hot take, I automatically put in it so it doesn't go stale that she will set a very fast briefing schedule um, and get to this issue right away, and especially whenever Jack Smith's team does it. She wants to bring these issues to a head very, very quickly. She's um, She has a very strong executive function in her brain, unlike Judge Cannon. She makes decisions very quickly and efficiently that matter to keep her case ultimately on track for a March 2024 um, uh, date uh, to pick a jury, a jury that's on the minds of Jack Smith already, which it should be. You and I speculated a week ago about how or so, maybe it was a week and a half ago, how would, how would or if the federal prosecutors would bring to the attention of Judge Chutkin that Donald Trump was at it again, and in week one of the trial, this is a fraud trial, had attacked in social media um, Judge Angora's principal law clerk as staff and got gagged, a gag order placed against him uh, in real time by Judge Angora as a result. And they found a way to slip it in. They slipped it in not as a supplemental to the gag order that she, Judge Chuckett, is considering and having a hearing this coming week over about whether on the issue of jury involvement Donald Trump should be limited and go through the court system about how he's going to do um, interviews and uh, a, a mock jury uh, process and also to stop him from continue, continuing to attack witnesses, staff, family, and prosecutors. They left off the judge, but I think they, like, I think they would also like him to stop bashing Judge Chutkin. I think Trump should want to stop bashing Judge Chutkin because whatever he thinks it's doing um, in terms of inside the courtroom, it's not. It's, it's having the opposite effect. 
I think it's just concentrating the minds of everyone that's a professional to just do their job and leave no stone unturned. And that's that's what we're seeing with Judge Chutkin. So they slipped it in with the reference when they asked for a jury questionnaire and that the jury be anonymous. Now, Donald Trump is no stranger to uh, anonymizing a jury. It happened to him, whether he wanted to or not, in the civil case in New York with Judge Kaplan in the E. Jean Carroll um, rape and defamation case. It happened again to him just a week or so ago with Judge McAfee, who in a very you know, one-page order granted Fawny Willis's request the jury be anonymous, and having seen what happened to the grand jury, whose names were released per Georgia law, and then everybody in, Georgia, in Trump's world, um, having bashed them, doxed them, posted their where they live, the coordinates of their of their uh, work addresses, uh, the judge was like, "Yeah, where do I sign?" So now we've got a third judge that's going to have to consider and uh, making the jury anonymous. And I gave the Jack Smith team a lot of credit because in a footnote in that motion, they actually said. Not only are there, are there appropriate grounds based on his recent behavior and pointed to New York and the doxing of that poor law clerk, um, again, judge, but we think there's appropriate grounds to even go as far as sequester the jury. I mean, that's the S word you rarely hear anymore, especially in a case like this. But they've actually said, we think there's enough grounds for sequestration, meaning putting the jury up in a hotel for the next four to five months, not letting them see their loved ones, nor nor connect to the world through social media or otherwise, and their new best friend is a marshal, is a federal marshal, taking them in and out of the room into the courthouse and back. Um, nobody wants that. That does not make for a happy jury, either for the prosecution or the defense, but the fact that they even kind of put that out there to then have the judge walk it back and say, we're not going to do the sequestration thing, but I am going to do the anonymous thing. And I think that's where they're trying to get the judge to end up. On the advice and counsel issue, on the advice of counsel issue, they're just calling out Donald Trump and his lawyers for all their BS that they've been running on right-wing social media and in interviews. Every time they get the chance, uh, last month's talking points, the end of September was, Donald Trump took advice of counsel. He had very competent counsel, constitutional counsel. He just listened to his counsel. Now, may I remind everybody on this podcast that almost every one of that quote-unquote counsel are his indicted co-conspirators in Georgia, at least, and unnamed co-conspirators in Jack Smith's case. I don't think relying on the guy that's also you know, potentially going to wear stripes with you in jail is going to give you a defense. But in, because that defense is out there, um, which is only it's – a, it's a judge-made defense. It's what we call in trial practice – an affirmative defense. It's not found in the federal rules of criminal procedure. You're not going to find a chapter or a section on, on uh, advice of counsel, but the law, the precedent of case law has developed it. Uh, but it's up to the judge to allow it if she thinks the facts support it and then give the jury an instruction over it. And so it's very serious. And there's a gatekeeping function for the judge to keep out bullshit, pardon my French, um, attempts to assert this because it'll just confuse the jury if there's really no evidence to to apply it it could lead a trumper on the panel to go what's well, advice of counsel yeah a lot of lawyers around where do i check the box for a, hang, a hung jury we don't want that to happen and then it's having an impact on the discovery 
meaning the subpoena process, the obtaining of documents and testimony and information, because Jack Smith's team is, get, is getting hit by at least 25, they've identified 25 subpoenaed parties, including somebody related to Donald Trump. If I had a guess, Jared Kushner, I don't think it's Ivanka, Jared Kushner, who's saying Donald Trump is, a, is asserting his attorney-client privilege, I can't produce those documents to you. Well, if he's, if he's taking the advice of counsel affirmative defense, he's effectively waived his attorney-client privilege. Mm -hmm. There are no documents with these people that wouldn't end up in the hands of the prosecutor to be used at trial. And they, and they want to know now, in October, not in, not in, in uh, March or April. They want to know now whether he is going to try to assert that privilege and let the judge, and let the judge uh, 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 decide the issue. And then that has the ripple effect through the discovery process because if he says yes and she says okay, you can try it, and then the waiver happens and they get all the documents and testimony that they want, pardon me. So they're trying to bring all of that up. And then there's nobody on this network that knows SIPA better than my co-anchor Ben Mysalis. I'll let you do the SIPA part, the ins and outs of that, before we move on to what's going on with Judge Kenneth. Yeah, I mean, you know, SEPA Section 4, as I mentioned before, has a uh, portion where that there are super sensitive documents within the classified documents themselves. Because remember, there's what's you know, under the Due Process Clause of the Constitution, under the uh, Sixth Amendment of the Constitution. There are all these rights that criminal defendants have, and we want criminal defendants to have these rights. One of those rights is you get the documents, you get the discovery against you. There's something called a Brady right, where you get, which is based on a, a case where you get exculpatory information. The government has to make that available to you as as well. Um, when it comes to classified documents, there's that's layered on the discovery obligations as well. And there's something called SEPA, Classified Information Procedures Act, where you're dealing with classified information that has to be turned over in a case. However, there could be some documents that pose such a national security risk that you have to balance the defendant's discovery rights, obligations, due process rights with our national security interests. Like, do you turn over the nuclear secrets that the criminal defendant was trying to steal to the criminal defendant in a case? Does that make sense? And I'm giving that as just a hypothetical example. And that's probably some of the issues that are being grappled with in the Southern District of Florida case. But there clearly are very sensitive documents as well. The special counsel Jack Smith wants to avail himself of this very specialized procedure in SEPA, Classified Information Procedures Act, Section 4, that deals with providing the document through a special procedure to the judge alone. The judge can then allow that to be removed from the government's discovery obligations, but a summary of the document or some other means of transmitting the info but not showing the highly sensitive document to the defendant, that takes place. The Trump's lawyers are asking for um, access to ch perhaps even challenge the SEPA for Section 4 designation of these records, um, and they want access. They're like, well, Judge, we think that Donald Trump should be able to see it, but even if Trump can't see it, trust us as the attorneys. We'll do what's called attorney's eyes only review, and we won't tell Donald Trump what we look at, but we want you to exercise your discretion, Judge. Do us a solid and let us look at the documents as well so we can assess 
the claim here about SEPA Section 4. Um, so that's being briefed now. And ultimately, as I said before, it's like on Monday, there's going to be a hearing um, on October 16th over Donald Trump's threats against the judge, against witnesses, against all these people, where these same lawyers who are asking the judge to exercise her discretion because they're trustworthy people, they're submitting briefs saying that Donald Trump's threats, where he's threatening to execute a witness, the former top general of the United States, Mark Milley, where they're saying Donald Trump's behavior, they're telling the judge in their briefs that that's good, that's acceptable, normal behavior that litigants should engage in. So when the judge is trying to balance our national security interests and lawyers are saying, hey, just trust us, judge, it'll be attorney's eyes only. They don't exactly come off as fair arbiters and and members of the bar acting in good faith. But that will be brief. We'll see what happens there. And as I mentioned, of course, there's that big hearing on Monday where uh, probably the, one of the biggest hearings yet on the gag order uh, over Donald Trump's threats. And I'm very curious to see how that case, how that hearing. I want to ask you a question, too, when you're done, sir, about, about gags. I'm of two minds. I want him to stop. You know, the, there's a big part of me that's like, put him in. I want him to stop. Gag him. Let's talk about the repercussions of that. Then you got to find him in contempt. And then a judge has to have the brass ones to put put the person in jail. Uh, okay, I'd love that. I also love when Donald Trump talks uh, without any restraint and, and has bad things happen to him and generates and creates new evidence um, because that also helps the case. As, as, as prosecutors like to say, you keep developing the evidence in your case and investigating right up until trial because you could find really good things there late in the game. Where, where, where are you on the spectrum? Gag him, contempt, and try to put him in jail as a candidate for office, given his bad conduct, or let him talk? Treat him like everybody else. Mm -hmm. That's where I stand on it. There is no favor that should be afforded him. There should be no different treatment. If his conduct is the type of conduct that would result in any litigant being remanded to jail, remand him to jail, and you show that nobody is above the law. You know, one of the things with Donald Trump is that he's a very weak person who gets away with things because people mistake his bloviating behavior as strength, and it absolutely isn't. When he is, and by the way, our enemies know that. Authoritarians know how weak he is, and they know exactly how to prey on that. Heck, all you got to do is call him, sir, sir, and he goes, they called me sir. They called me sir. He's as weak as you can be. So you have to confront a weak wannabe authoritarian like that who violates our law with the full force of a 